Ladies, gentlemen, bears, and Ocampa and things to episode 14 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We are here, as always, to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Uh, that's, those franchises are the Muppets and Star Trek. And we'll be doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have special Muppet Show guest Phyllis Diller and the original series episode, Balance of Terror. But also this week, we have a very special guest and with it, a very special guest episode to review. And that guest is Sean Vanderloo of the Rusted Robot and Soul Forge podcast and longtime friend of the Play on Nerds Network. Hello, Sean. Hello, Stephen Jarman. And Sean, what show and episode will we be adding to our mix of reviews today? Oh, today we'll be watching Babylon 5 with the episode TKO. That's right. Also, episode 14 of that series. And so we thought it'd be fun to occasionally have guests on the show to kind of mix things up and add in an episode of one of their favorite series and see how it compares and contrasts because, you know, all these shows are the same, right? <laughs> yeah, bas- they're basically the same show. <laughs> all right. So, so Sean, why did, why did you choose Babylon 5? Uh, because um, it's a toss up between Babylon 5 and Star Trek as to which is my favorite. And since you're already doing Star Trek, I had to choose Babylon 5. That's fair. Oh, that's great. It's a great series. So I've seen Babylon 5, but Steve, you have not, correct? No, never. <laughs> so I mean, that's confusing oh, for that's you. that's a travesty. Even less than Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, no. it's a lesser known gem, but it like it's definitely great in its own way. But uh, I think we're starting off with the Muppets, though, right? So Steve, tell us about our Muppet Show guest, Phyllis Diller. So Phyllis Diller was the first female comic to really become recognized as a household name. She was considered a icon of the gay community and a plastic surgery advocate. And she's been in a bunch of films and short runs on TV shows, including King of the Hill and the Drew Carey show and seventh heaven. But what does our generation know her from? Well, she played the voice of the ant queen in a bug's life. <laughs> okay. Uh, and she played Peter Griffin's mother, Selma in a multi-episode arc of family guy. But most people in our generation are going to recognize her voice and not necessarily Phyllis Diller herself. Gotcha. Uh, but this week on The Muppet Show, the show opens with Fozzie introducing Phyllis Diller. Kermit comes out to confront Fozzie about taking his spot in the opening. Kermit agrees that Fozzie could open, but he's going to pull the rope, and it's the rope to the trap door, which Fozzie then falls through. The opening numbers, Mississippi Mud, where three yokels sing a fast-paced song about the joy of chewing cud and squashing mud under their feet. Next, we take a stop backstage where Hilda is wondering over Miss Diller and if she's had any cosmetic work done, considering that she should also have some work done because she is old at the ripe age of 35. (laughs) After this, we get our first taste of Phyllis Diller, who performs a lounge kind of sketch with Rolf. Phyllis is depressed, all while exchanging pun-based insults with Rolf. Then they go to back-and-forth jokes about who has the worst life. There's some really good zingers and fast lines in here. Uh, Once again backstage, Hilda uh, decides to transform herself into young Hilda by donning a red wig. Kermit immediately recognizes her, which depresses her even further. Following this, we get a Muppet News flash. A woman named Beverly Shepard made a pair of wings, strapped them to her back, and flew all the way to Dallas. In a quick interview, it is revealed that she's just a crazy woman that put on some wings and then got onto an airplane. (laughs) 
we then find ourselves at the dance. The best joke here is that Statler and Waldorf are dancing together. <laughs> Up next, we have Dr. Teeth, Floyd Pepper, and Zoot playing Lazy Bones, a nice slow jazzy standard. It's a cute little number with some very dated video wipes throughout. <laughs> Uh, after this, we get the talk spot where Fozzie is asking Phyllis for advice on being a comedian. Fozzie is appalled that Phyllis would lie to the audience for the premise of a joke, and he doesn't understand that that he may need to bend the truth to tell a joke from time to time. Next, we have a really odd sketch where a strange purple alien sings a song called Hugga Wugga. Another bird comes in with Higgy Wiggy, and the Hugga Wugga basically beats him into submission. Then a really cute alien comes in singing you are my sunshine this turns into a battle between the hugga wugga and the cute alien and it's just a very cute visual strange sketch like an acid trip basically (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) backstage once more hilda has donned a blonde wig makeup and glasses hoping to get noticed the only thing that fozzy notices is that she changed the towels in the dressing room we finally get another Muppet Labs, which it's been a while, with Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, where he shows off a series of exploding gadgets, including exploding hats, as well as exploding earmuffs and his self-destruct necktie. After this, we get a quick check-in with Phyllis and Gonzo. She loves her new pocket camera. Gonzo asks to see some pictures, and she shows him pictures of pockets. <laughs> Finally, we're back at Jarman's favorite veterinarian hospital. Their patient is a sick loaf of bread. Dr. Bob says that it's toast and it is short and cute. Uh, We get the final musical number where Phyllis plays the entertainer very poorly on the saxophone with the Muppet Orchestra. Zoot can't take it anymore and hops in to help her out. We then get the close of the show. Kermit thanks Phyllis. She wants him to move to her side before Fozzie pulls the rope, dropping Kermit into the trap door from the opening. And then Fozzie falls in himself. And that is this week's episode of The Muppet Show. Woohoo! Let's talk a little bit about the music in this episode. We've got Mississippi Mud written by a guy named Harry Barris. He was part of an American singing trio in the 20s called The Rhythm Boys, the most famous of which was Bing Crosby. Oh. Uh, but Barris would later go on to appear in seven Bing Crosby movies between 1931 and 1950. Lazy Bones with lyrics by a guy named Johnny Mercer. Johnny Mercer actually went on to be one of the co-founds of, co-founders of Capitol Records. I knew that name. Which produced and distributed tons of artists, including the Beatles, the, uh, the Beastie Boys, Nat King Cole, and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> They're still around. Uh, you Are My Sunshine, written by a guy named Jimmy Davis and Charles Mitchell. This is considered one of Louisiana's state songs because Davis went on to be governor of Louisiana in two non-consecutive terms, from 44 to 48, and then again from 60 to 64. Uh, finally, The Entertainer, music by Scott Joplin and lyrics by John Bermhall. Uh, Joplin is probably most widely known and famous musician for ragtime music. His song, The Maple Leaf Rag, was the first and most influential ragtime hit and became kind of the standard that all of the ragtime songs followed. Uh, and this, uh, The Entertainer, was later performed with Bermhall's lyrics on The Muppet Show when Milton Berle hosted in season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Jarman and Sean, what did you think of this episode of The Muppet Show? Oh, go for it, Sean. Oh my! Well, I haven't watched all the other ones. Um, <laughs> I watched it. I watched it all the time as a kid. Uh, I love the Muppets. I had Muppet wallpaper when I was a little boy. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, th- this this was hard to watch. The um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phyllis Diller was not uh, showcased very much at all. Um, the the Mississippi Mud song was good. I enjoyed that a lot. I like that too. The, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, but the zoot zoot and the you are my sunshine went on for way too long. It was painful. 
I agree with that one. That, that, that sketch was way too long. <laughs> yeah, the Hugga yeah. Wugga went on a bit. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was it was it was awful. And I, and I watched this episode twice so I could uh, get it good in my memory. Oh, wow. It was um, it was it was it was too much. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be on some drugs for this episode. I think. I agree. Phyllis so. Hiller was kind of a lackluster guest, and you're right; they did not showcase her well, other than literally just putting her on stage with Muppets and having her do stand up. That was it. Yeah, that was the whole premise. And it really yeah, shows like the old it. style, like of comedy, kind of like really cheesy kind of, and also just every, calling her ugly over and over and over again. It's like, she's not that ugly. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, at the time she was a big proponent for the, like the normalization of plastic surgery mm. and there was a big stigma around it and she fought it a lot. So I think that's why they played that card so heavily because of culturally mm. who she was at the time. Okay. Just seemed kind of mean. That at makes times. sense. Mm-hmm. Same thing with when Candace Bergen hosted and they did all the feminist stuff. I think that was just a result of the icon that she was in that moment. Right. It's in the context. Yeah. In the context. Uh, but I agree. This is, this is bottom five probably for me even. <laughs> well, I, I actually thought it was fun. <laughs> oh man. Oh no. So the only ones you like the two parts I really didn't like were that alien sketch and the, um, um, I didn't mind it, but like the the jazzy number from Doctor Teeth, like it was fine. Yeah, it's just it just there's nothing funny or muppety about it. They just literally just played a song, and there was no jokes or anything. I was like, okay, all right, that's fine. It seemed like it's like like a time filler kind of thing. Um, but I also like the friendships he develops with Fozzie because usually he gets shit on like every episode. So it's kind of nice for someone to kind of like be buddy buddy with him and help him out. That's right. Um, Fozzie's doing the shit in this week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's shitting on some other people now. Um. And also Statler and Waldorf establishing their gay relationship together by, you know, they're having a little dance. I love that. That's right. That's true. It's Bert and Ernie and Statler and Waldorf, the the best lovers of the Henson universe. (laughs) That was the the best part of the, of the, at the dance. And it's funny. The only part of this episode I did like was the Hugga Wugga sketch. Oh no. I agree. It was too long, (laughs) but I like that it was purely visual. I mean, that's, and it took a lot of probably special like craftsmanship to make that like steam thing. Oh, its nose yeah. and things. So I can appreciate that for what it is, but True. yeah. Just, and it's, it's one of those rare times where the Muppets didn't have to hide behind a set piece. So using the smoke was just kind of cool from a, being a big Muppet fan yeah, I could to have that. them have some other medium to play in. I can understand your appreciation, but, uh, it was kind of just like, but what the hell's going still, on? <laughs> bottom five but it was no Florence Henderson <laughs> uh, right in the middle for me. It was a middling. Episode. Okay, great. So Jaron, what uh, original series episode did we watch this week? Oh, to th- this week was a doozy. It's a balance of terror. So this is the, a very famous episode of star Trek. Very. Uh, it's been adapted from a, a TV show that was based off a TV episode about submarines and that kind of thing, or a movie. I think it was, I lost the, the trivia for that, but very submarine action in this episode. Um, oh Yeah. So in this episode, we have the Enterprise, who has uh, lost communication with a line of Earth outposts that are bordering the Romulan neutral zone. And this is a bat- uh, people they did battle with over a century ago, and they've had peace with ever since, as long as neither side goes over that neutral zone. Um, and in that whole battle they had 100 years ago, they never saw each other, so they don't know what each other's races look like. Uh, Kirk is officiating a wedding when we open up on this, um, on the way to the outpost, but it's interrupted because another outpost is under attack. And they get there just as the outpost is about to be destroyed. 
and the enemy ship reappears in front of them from being invisible and fires a big plasma shot at the outpost and it destroys the outpost and then it goes invisible again. So the Enterprise is in shock. They'd never seen anything like that before. Um, they can still track the ship a bit with sensors, but otherwise they can't see it at all. So eventually Spock decodes a message from them, which lets him get a video feed of their bridge. And that's when the crew discovers that the Romulans look just like the Vulcans. Ooh. And that's one of my favorite scenes happens after that with a crewman on the ship who gets really bigoted and Kirk puts him in his place. I really like that. Doing a little kind of racism play here. Uh, they deb debate whether to attack the ship and risk starting a new war. But Spock suggests that if they don't attack, it will show weakness. And then a war it would definitely be assured at that point. So uh, the captain and, and of the Romulan ship and Kirk go back and forth with like all the submarine like strategies to get at each other for a while. But finally, Kirk outsmarts their captain when the Romulans go through a comet's tail and they, they can be tracked. So they try to uh, trick the Enterprise, but in the return, the Enterprise sees them and can shoot their um, phasers at them. Uh, in a last ditch effort, the Romulan captain jettisons a nuke at them and it makes it look as though the Enterprise is disabled. But really, they're OK. And they shoot the Romulan captain's ship with their phasers when he gets too close. Uh, the Romulan captain makes a video contact with the, with Kirk and says that he will go down with his ship as a matter of honor and says that maybe he and Kirk could have been friends in a different reality. And he self-destructs his ship and Starfleet avoids a war for now. And that's a really condensed version of what happened on that episode. That was very condensed. <laughs> There's a lot of little things going on there. A lot of really cool battle sequences that are kind of hard to describe. You only have to watch the episode, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of minutia, a lot of minutia, and a lot of things with the, with the racist crewman because his his family died in uh, the war a hundred years ago. So he really hates Romulans. So when he sees these Romulans looking like Vulcans, he starts to hate Spock. Uh, but then another scene, Spock saves his life. So the, the crewman has changed, and he's like, he won't be biased against. Uh, Spock anymore and the, the married couple unfortunately the groom gets killed in one of the explosions um, so they don't get to be married anymore and that's really sad Aww. yeah so some trivia real quick before we talk about the episode uh, due to budget and time constraints uh, they couldn't put ears and Vulcan makeup or, or Romulan ears on everybody so they use these um, helmets that you'll see the in the episode yeah. the Romulan helmets and they're actually redressed Roman helmets from um, some of the studio's biblical epics of the 1950s so they're actually <laughs> from those things um, this is the final appearance of Yeoman Rand, who had like three seconds in this episode, I think, when she holds on to Kirk thinking they're all going to die. Um, yeah. It's her last episode until she reappears in the motion picture in 79. Uh, the Romulan Empire is noticeably modeled after the Roman Empire. Uh, the terms Centurion and Praetor are all borrowed from ancient Rome. Um, and uh, they keep having Roman names until for a while they don't until we have Nero again in the 2009 Star Trek movie, which is also a Roman name. Uh, and apparently Leonard Nimoy was going to hold out for a better contract after the first season and both Mark Leonard and Lawrence Montaigne, who were the two speaking um, Romulans in this episode, they were up to take his place as Spock. Uh, but, oh. but Nimoy eventually got the uh, raise that he wanted to $2,500 an episode, a hefty sum. Wow. <laughs> so what do you guys think of this episode? For me, this, this surpassed the last episode as my new favorite episode. Nice. And last episode was my new favorite episode. If anything, I'm bummed it only got to be my favorite episode for one week. <laughs> That's fair. Um, the things I really liked about this episode are um, I like that there were like religion and marriage was mentioned, showing that there's at least some vestige of that, which I don't think I'd seen up to this point. Right. Um, you finally get a feel for interstellar politics because up to this point, it's sort of the random threat of the week. But this is, you know governments and people's clashing. And that's not something we'd really gotten before mm -hmm. higher stakes. 
Uh, and then also your your bigotry thing. Leave your bigotry in your quarters. There's no no room for it on the bridge. Yeah, that's the line. It's just great. Um, but no, this is probably my new favorite episode. The back and forth, the minutia of the battle, and not everything moving super fast was really really nice. By you, Sean. Sean what, yeah. Oh, it's considered one of the best of uh, the original series, of course. Um, and it's a good one. Uh, it's got some ridiculous parts in it, of course, where they're uh, pretending they're in a submarine and they have to be quiet <laughs> and they're in space. Like, that doesn't make any sense. That's true. And and, and this is the first time we had to see the uh, the phaser room. Like, normally they do it from the bridge. But they had oh, to. Uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, like they had to do the down below kind of thing, which uh, doesn't make any sense. But it's uh, <laughs> it's it's got one of my favorite lines of all of Star Trek, where McCoy talks to Kirk and he says, "Of all the uh, the galaxies, there's 300 million million, and in all of that, there's so much of this and so much of that, and in all of that, there's only one of us. Don't destroy the one called Kirk." Oh. And uh, when, uh, when, when Bridget and I got married, we actually used a version of that line for our vows. Oh, wow. Oh. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm totally going to steal that. You totally should. <laughs> uh, we, we, we adapted it. And even though the, uh, the marriage fell apart and she's a horrible person, uh, it was still a cool, uh, ceremony. <laughs> well, the ceremony's still good. That's all that matters. That, that's exactly right. Was there an open bar? <laughs> Uh, yes perfect that's all you need <laughs> that's, all, that's right. all you need <laughs> well cool so uh, but think yeah oh the things i maybe didn't like as much uh the play out with henson at the space station the guy who was like horribly maimed oh yeah oh yeah where they basically heard the information over the intercom and they're like get it on the screen and then it was basically just the same information again but with a reveal that he was terribly burned and then the convenient that the switched, the camera switched back to him right before his death, even though he was the one controlling the camera. <laughs> That's right. Just felt weird. I didn't even think about um, that. Yeah. There was a but few weird things like that. Now that you explain it, it makes more sense, but the bigotry was really confusing to me. Uh-huh. Cause I was like, but Spock's, Spock is a Vulcan. Why do they hate him? Because of the Romulan. I just, and I don't have enough Star Trek context to like quite get it all the way. Well, they do explain oh, the beginning of the episode, but it's very quickly mm-hmm. expo- exposition is, I can't make that word. A lot of exposition yeah, really quickly. The, <laughs> yeah. And it's the first time we see the, the Romulans. Right. And we didn't, right, we didn't right. know they, they were an offshoot of the Vulcan race. Uh, and then I guess in the, in the Romulan ship, when they're getting blasted and stuff, why is there like rubble? falling from the ceiling <laughs> right I, is I there the a ship thing. made of stones <laughs> exactly it's all <laughs> so made I of like that um, was really weird and inconsistent it's made of painted foam so it looks like rocks <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so a couple of weird things but overall as i said my new favorite episode that's awesome good appropriately so that's right so sean why don't you tell us about our first Babylon five episode that we've reviewed on the show. Okay. I can do that. Now, obviously you don't, and none of the listeners have any context for it, but uh, Babylon five is the fifth of the Babylon stations, a place where humans and aliens could get law, get along. Um, and this here is the 14th episode called TKO. And uh, basically what happens is a rabbi and a boxer dock at the station uh, they come aboard uh, after flying through space on the White Star. Uh, so we've got Walker Smith and Rabbi Koslow. 
Uh, Rabbi Kozlo comes to see Ivanova, who is second in command of the space station, because her dad had recently passed away and he wants to bring her her legacy. Uh, Walker Smith, the boxer, he lost a title shot back in the day because of uh, tampering. So he comes to Babylon 5 to compete in the Muay Thai, <laughs> which is an alien-only kind of uh, boxing bout competition kind of thing. Uh, so we go back to the rabbi, and he talks to Commander Sinclair, the uh, the main guy in charge of the Babylon station, and he wants to uh, basically get some time off for Ivanova so she can sit Shiva which is basically a, a mourning ceremony for her, her dead father. Um, but of course, she's upset with the rabbi for meddling in her affairs. Uh, we go back to Walker. He's rejected from the Mutai. He's not allowed because he's a human, and humans are not allowed to uh, get involved in this kind of fight. But a guy named Caliban offers to help him get in, to train him, and suggests he uh, provide a direct challenge, and it's accepted. So he's able to get into the Mutai. Um, we find out that uh, Susan Ivanova's father didn't show her any love, so she left Earth for uh, Earth Force. There's no forgiveness between them, um, but the rabbi suggests you can't run away from your pain, not even in space. Um, <laughs> so ev eventually she changes her mind about sitting Shiva, and she accepts her father, and she realizes everything's okay, and Walker gets to fight in the Mutai, uh, he gets a draw, uh, he gains the alien's respect, and humans are now able to fight in the Mutai. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it. Which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it doesn't really uh, build any um, backstory for the whole Babylon 5 universe. It's just kind of a, one of those filler episodes that gives you a little bit of uh, a background of what the universe is actually like. I thought that was actually right. pretty lucky that it wasn't part of some overreaching plot where Steve would be totally lost. It was kind of nice. Yeah, it's just kind of kind of background, kind of uh, not not filler per se, but it it is. So, Steve, I have to ask. Yes. What do you think of this? Since you've never seen a Babylon Five before. Oh wait, before I do that, yeah, do we have any factoids? Any factoids? Uh, we we do. Um, the the freighter that they come on is called the White Star, which was the company that owned the Titanic. Mm. Um, uh, okay. at, at the beginning uh, Ivanova is reading a book by Harlan Ellison and he was actually the uh, conceptual consultant for the show and uh, the book that she's reading Working Without a Net was actually not a book that he had written at that point he was going to save that for his autobiography and mm. uh, the name of the the, yeah, and the name of the boxer in the show was Walker Smith, and that was the actual real name of real boxer Sugar Ray Robinson. Ah. Yeah, and, and that's about it. That's all I got for trivia for this episode. Uh, so, so things I liked about this, I guess not necessarily this show, but the, the, this episode, but the show in general. Um, the things I like the most about Star Trek are when you get to see the everyday life of these people, and this had so much more of that. I don't oh, know yes. if it's just this episode, but, you know, getting to see where they go for leisure and just normal alien folk. I know that's a weird saying. <laughs> um, I just really enjoyed that because I feel like we don't get enough of that in Star Trek. Uh, I like that there were lots and lots of alien races. Like so tons. Many. So oh, many yes. different ones. Um, and I like that we didn't have to know who they all were. We just knew they were all different. That's true. Um, though I'm sure they get into more of them over the course of the show. Uh, and 
overall, I was pleasantly surprised with how solid the acting was hmm. throughout from, from everybody. Not only the, the clearly guest stars, but the, even the head of security. Like he was probably my favorite. Oh, Garibaldi. Yeah. He's very likable. Yeah. Um, things I maybe didn't like as much. The CGI was real bad. <laughs> well, actually, real, real this bad. is the first. It, it's true, but this is the first series that relied only on CGI and didn't have any actual physical models. That's true. It was the first of its kind. Yes. Um, I know I mentioned that overall, I thought the acting was really good, but the cap, whoever, the guy playing the captain was so wooden and terrible. <laughs> Watching his scenes were incredibly painful compared to what overall was mm -hmm. very good. Commander Sinclair, you mean? I guess. He was actually, he was suffering from schizophrenia and they wrote him out after the first season. Whoa. Yeah, it was actually a very um, pleasant goodbye. It was sad, but like the the director and him were like good friends and he offered to let him come back, but they kind of worked it out that he was best if he didn't come back to the show. And he had, he held no resentment towards it, but he just couldn't really function anymore. And the next guy they got was Bruce Boxleitner from Tron. You know him? Yeah. Yeah. He plays the captain for the rest of the whole series or the commander. Okay. And he, I do like him a lot better, better. but Sinclair is good, but, but yeah, Bruce Boxleitner really rocks it. I think. Oh, totally. Uh, He he steals the show. And that name is just awesome. Bruce Boxleitner. For, for the, for the Mutai being like a no holds barred, underground alien fight it looked an awful lot like karate (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah i think they could have done more to differentiate it in some way also why did they use that name because muay thai is a real martial art in on earth yes there was also that (laughs) and and also the the winner of the muay thai is the shaolin which is uh was a take on shaolin oh the monks yeah, no, yeah, I, I read that. In the trivia that's too. funny. Yeah, because um, even the the guy running the the Muay Thai was just like overly Asian sounding, like stereotypical, like com- completely. And it, yeah, and it felt lame for it to end in a draw. I kind of like that ending. It showed like you know that way the aliens wouldn't be pissed that he won, but then he didn't mm-hmm. lose, so he could kicked out. But they kind of won respect. You know, I thought that was kind of nice. Right, but then he leaves. So presumably he's opened it up for other humans to come and get murdered here. <laughs> yes, yes. He like, I just don't know it. if it's a good thing the way it ended. <laughs> we're we're meant to assume that it is. It's great. And Sean, I don't well, think remember, but Walter Smith never comes back, right? I I don't think we ever see that guy again. Oh, because I liked him. Yeah, he was good. That's too bad. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> But overall, I did really enjoy this for the most part. Yeah, me too. I thought it was a really like a fun episode. Getting, like you said, getting the characters better. The one thing I didn't like was it was almost kind of comical was the uh, quick transitions between a UFC fight, basically, and then a Jewish shiva <laughs> like going like intercutting <laughs> those two things. I was like, whoa, that's a jumpy transition. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and it turns out the, the rabbi just came to give her a fancy pot. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all he was there for. That, Across that, that, that space. was her legacy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I like this episode. It reminded me of those characters I haven't seen in a long time. And Steve doesn't get to see like the really great, funny characters of uh, what's his name, Big Hair, Londo. Londo, yes, he's so great. Um, so, yeah, watching watching this episode makes me want to uh, go back and rewatch the entire series again for like the seventh time. And the movies and spinoff show and all that stuff. Yes, all the things. <laughs> There's so much. Oh, I, I miss those characters. It's such a great show. You should start your Babylon 5 podcast. There you go. Oh, God. Yeah, I need to do another podcast. <laughs> the the Babbler's Brook. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Babylonanon. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all right, gentlemen, I have some Trek connections this week. Oh, lovely. Oh, boy, do I have Trek okay. connections. Tell us. Okay. So Phyllis Diller had her own show for one season, didn't last very long, called The Beautiful Phyllis Diller Show. And one of her guests for the very short run was Leonard Nimoy, because he guest starred on every show during that era, apparently. apparently. Every single one, Leonard Nimoy was there. <laughs> uh, in the 1970s, there was a game show called Tattle Tales, which was like a celebrity duos revealing couple game, kind of like the newlywed game, but celebrities. Uh, William Shatner and a guy named Ward Donovan were both contestants on the same week, and their wives, who were seen through television screens, were there as well. But Ward Donovan was married to Phyllis Diller, oh. so they were on the same episode of Tattletales. Uh, Babylon 5, of course, uh, is directly compared to Star Trek Deep Space 9 from everything I read, both because of its content as well as its timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, uh, one of Babylon 5's producers was a guy named Joseph Michael Strakinsky. Straczynski. Yeah. Straczynski, uh, who actually scripted a Star Trek comic, uh, World Singer, for DC Comics. He even worked on a Star Trek reboot for a while, but it was quickly eclipsed by the launch of the Kelvin timeline by J.J. Abrams and then kind of died. Oh, interesting. Uh, Straczynski uh, (laughs) also was the story writer for 2011's Thor, which was produced by Marvel, which has since been bought up by Disney, just like the Muppets. Yeah. And then here's the kicker. Here's the best one I found. Paul Williams, who wrote music for the Muppets, the Muppet movie, and hosted one of the early episodes. Uh, he was on an episode of Star Trek, which we covered in that episode. But he was also in season two, episode 12 of Babylon 5, oh. Acts of Sacrifice, playing a character named Tack. So huh. Paul Williams bridges all three all three <laughs> franchises. Shows. Yeah, that's all amazing. three franchises. Paul Williams somehow touched all of them. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, that one was tough to find. That took a while to dig up. <laughs> well, uh, now, now let's talk some similarities. Yeah, similarities. Uh, I have a bunch. There, some are, make more sense than others, but uh, <laughs> they're fun. <laughs> uh, one I want to mention real quick is uh, Sean just made me realize it. I was looking through the trivia of Balance of Terror, and I didn't include, that, include this, but originally Harlan Ellison was also working with um, Star Trek, the original series, and he rejected yes. the script of Balance of Terror because it was too similar um, to the the movie that they're basing it off of. So he's, he wanted more original scripts. So that's kind of a connection between the Harlan Ellison epi- in this episode and the Balance of Terror episode. He connects both. Oh. And, and, and he also wrote the script for uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Yes. Another great episode Steve will get to eventually. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Sean, what kind of similarities do you find? If anything, um, well, I, I found that uh, the Romulan ship exploded, and and so did uh, Doctor Bunsen Honeydew. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, that's about the only one I found. Yeah, I uh, that's I kind of actually had something similar. The explosion guy blows up. What's his name, Steve? The guy who blows up the Do- thing. Doctor oh, Bunsen Honeydew. Oh no, the other guy who blows up things all the time. Crazy Harry. Crazy Harry. So he blows up the set before Gonzo can hit the gong in the beginning of the show, just like how the coolant leak happens before the crew can set off the phasers <laughs> in Balance of Terror. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, both Star Trek and Babylon 5 feature religious themes with the marriage at the beginning of Star Trek and sitting Shiva in Babylon 5. That is oh, true. Uh, 
So in Star Trek and the Babylon 5 episode, the two opponents go against each other. They underestimate each other and they have a mutual respect for each other at the end. The, the fighting guys in the, in the, the, the Muay Thai match and then the, the two captains. I think oh, you yes, could that, say that. the same thing about the Hugga Wugga and the cute yellow alien. <laughs> and and, and then, what about... And it's all three. True. And, and what about Hilda keep changing her, uh, her costumes like she was cloaking herself much like the Romulan ship? Oh, so very <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, so Muppets in Babylon 5, Fozzie tells Kermit that he works too hard so that he should let him do more for him and take some time off just like commander sinclair tells ivanova to take some time off there you go mm. <laughs> uh the original series in the muppet show both feature someone falling into a trap kermit and fozzy into the trap door and kirk into the trap set by the romulan commander uh, uh star trek and the muppets uh kermit doesn't know that it's hilda until she turns around uh and that in the end and the Enterprise crew doesn't know that it's a Romulan that looks like a Vulcan until it, the captain turns around. <laughs> These are getting very <laughs> nebulous. Okay, <laughs> I found though. one that legitimately covers all three. Oh, nice. All right. All three feature an older character giving advice. Phyllis Diller giving Fozzie advice about his joke telling. The Centurion advising the Romulan commander. And Caliban at advising the fighter in the pit. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's pretty good. good. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, the only one I could find that covered all three. Uh, Honeydew has a self-destruct necktie. The Romulans self-destruct their ship. Hey, counts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Basically the same show. Yeah. So uh, the Babylon 5 of Star Trek episode, both episodes feature a character having to mourn the death of a loved one, the Centurion in Star Trek, and Ivanova's father in Babylon 5. Oh, I didn't think about that. Okay. I still got more. Yeah, <laughs> keep going. So Star Trek Babylon 5, both feature a captain slash commander facilitating a religious ceremony for a crew member. I think you already said that one. So that's basically. Yeah, like the religious theme. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. And Muppets and Babylon 5 both have aliens fighting each other. Muppets in the sunshine number and the Muay Thai in Babylon okay. 5. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> so that's a lot. That's a lot. You dug up a lot this week. Good work. <laughs> so what's that noise, Steve? Yeah. Do you hear that? Oh, God. What is that? Oh, I don't oh, know. No. Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right. So this is the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to another episode, basically replacing them on that show, if that makes sense. So like any of this episode, this show makes sense. So what have you got, Steve? Uh, Okay. So I said that Phyllis Diller could replace Lieutenant Commander Ivanova at her father's wake slash sit Shiva. And it would just evolve into a series of one-liners and zingers about her father. (laughs) But I was growing up. My father was so cheap. When I gave him my two cents, he'd only give me back a penny. (laughs) Like that kind of thing. Just nonstop there. Sean, you got one for us? Yeah. I I thought Phyllis Diller could go over to uh, Babylon five and be the, uh, the Muta Doe, the the leader of the Muta. That'd be amazing. Just imagine you're in that robe with that stick. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Mutato. Uh, yeah, I had uh, the Rabbi Kozlov from Babylon 5 would replace Fozzie Bear because rabbis are always funny. So he'd be a great companion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, See? Statler and, Wald- Statler and Waldorf replaced Caliban, and, but didn't just spend Ooh. the entire time heckling Walker Smith from ringside. <laughs> I love it. Hey, uh, you and, do and it. Then I- 
I, I was thinking Hilda or Phyllis Diller could go ahead and be the centurion. I could see that. Okay. And just yeah. die, die a terrible death. <laughs> Similar yeah, haircuts much. too. Similar yeah, that's haircuts. what I was thinking. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I put uh, uh, between the Muppets and Star Trek, uh, the Romulan commander and the centurion could take the place of Statler and Waldorf, a very serious and over the top commentary of all the Muppet sketches. They find nothing funny. <laughs> Uh, Kirk and the Romulan commander replaced the hugga mugga and the gentle yellow creature, uh, <laughs> sparring back and forth, tricking each other and trying to lose each other in the mist. I like it. Uh, I feel like Garibaldi is very Kirk esque in a way from Babylon five. So I feel like Kirk could have beamed over to be the friend and boxing coach to Walter Smith and oh, that, the yeah. episode wouldn't really change at all. <laughs> I can see That's that. true. No impact whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! I said Ralph could take the place of Styles, the crew member who's bigoted, because Ralph was making all those <laughs> jokes about Phyllis Diller being ugly, so he could easily fill the shoes of Styles and his bigoted Ralph comments. Ralph is super racist. <laughs> uh, that, that that about does it for that uh transporter malfunction. So that's yeah, there that's you go. right. So uh, before we get to our sign off, thank you, Sean Vanderloo, for being our first guest. Uh, you can check out Sean all over the place, but more importantly, you can check him out on the Rusted Robot and the Soul Forge podcast. Yeah, and where can Those they contact you, uh, out. Sean? Where can they find you? <laughs> they pump uh, out. They can pump out uh, one show per podcast per week. Uh, He's a can, beast. Can, oh, it's uh, it's a lot of work. So soulforgepodcast.com or therustedrobot.podbean.com. And I'm also on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Darth Vaderloo. Hell yeah. Uh, check him out. He talks about like life and everything in between and uncomfortable stuff. Uh, he does a Stoop, really yeah. great <laughs> like th- two or three parter about falling in love with a lesbian. That is just absolutely great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty much <gasps> highly uh, recommend. Soul- yes. Soul Forge podcast. Stupid things we do for love. Check it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. Highly we can recommend. all relate. So <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of episode 14 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for episode 15 of The Muppet Show with special guest Avery Schreiber. And original series episode, Shore Leave. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 